In the name of one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. This is the beginning of the story of the Transfiguration as written in the Gospel of Mark. And this day is not to be confused with the Feast of the Transfiguration, which is August 6th every year, and we hear the account by Luke and Luke's perspective. Today is the final Sunday of the season of ordinary time prior to the beginning of another season. Another season like this. This Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, we begin Lent. Today's gospel begins, Jesus took with him. And we get a picture of just who was there. Peter and James and John. The synoptics all begin with similar words. We hear here in Mark 9, six days later, in Matthew 17, six days later, and in Luke chapter 9, about eight days later. So the synoptic gospels, Matthew, um, Mark, and Luke, they place this moment within the same sequence of events. Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus commands the disciples not to tell anyone. Jesus predicts his suffering and his death and his resurrection from the dead. Jesus calls his disciples to follow him sacrificially. The transfiguration. Jesus commands the disciples to keep quiet until after his resurrection. A discussion on the coming of Elijah, except in Luke. The miraculous healing of a demonized boy. And a second prediction of the passion of the Christ. Clearly, this event takes place at a particular crossroads in the life and ministry of Jesus. This event must have taken place somewhere in the middle of Jesus' ministry, and it stands alone as a one-time occurrence. There is hardly a passage in the New Testament that presents such a challenge to scholars who seek to understand the historical Jesus. I mean, it's no wonder why this bizarre vision is chalked up by some academics as a fairy tale of a renegade rabbi, the sad prognostications of a would-be messiah in this singular, fixed, finite moment in time that stands as a very, very unique event. Actually, though, this doubting is a very Western predicament. It's born of trying to separate Jesus' full humanity from Jesus' full divinity, the theological Jesus from the historical Jesus, the kingdom here on earth from the kingdom in heaven, church militant as church triumphant. We're so enlightened that we just refuse to believe in the miracles, miracles of any sort. So certainly this passage, it is in question. But the truth is, the theological Jesus is the historic Jesus. The same Jesus who comes in human flesh also makes the lame to walk. He makes the blind to see and he raises the dead to life. I believe with all my heart that these earliest testimonials about Jesus are reliable. 
and they are trustworthy and that this moment in time is real. As much as this moment in time is real. Christians in the East, they regard the transfiguration as central to the symbolism of the gospel and that it discloses as much about themselves as it does about God. So what is happening here in this passage? Of course, most scholars believe that the Gospel of Mark was the very first of the Synoptic Gospels and probably written um, in the mid to late 60s, 60 CE, to a predominantly Gentile audience. So as Peter says, it is good for us to be here with this account of Mark. The Transfiguration is known as an epiphany. So now you see why we get this story now as well as in August. Known as an epiphany because of the sudden manifestation of a divine being where the witnesses are invited to participate in the plan of God. Peter, James, and John, they're invited and, and we are invited as well. And scholars really aren't certain on what mountain this occurred. You know, some say it's Mount Tabor in Lower Galilee. Others say Mount Hermon, which straddles uh, Syria and Lebanon. And others say Mount Moron, which is nearest to Upper Galilee. It comes as no surprise that this epiphany happens on a mountain. Which one? It really doesn't matter. But mountains and other high places are viewed throughout the Hebrew covenant as the setting for divine experiences. And this is leading up, this leading up to a high mountain. It, it sets the stage for a revelation. Mark writes that Jesus is transfigured before them and his, his clothes become a dazzling white, temporarily transfigured or transformed before their eyes. And he emphasizes this fact that no one on earth could bleach them that white. The point, I think, is that there is no natural explanation to account for what the disciples are witnessing. And after this, we get this bizarre appearance of the Hebrew covenant prophets. We get Elijah and Moses, who then begin to have a conversation with Jesus. And after that, we have Peter, who says, it is good for us to be here. It is good for us to be here. And if we take everything we know about Peter and we pop him down into this position on the mountain, of course he says it is good for us to be here. He is what Mark writes, terrified. And to be fair, there's no New Testament for him to reference. There's no box that says break glass in case of transfiguration. There's just this finite moment in time. And then finally, the voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Now you go and Google what does the transformation say about blah, 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 and you complete the sentence however you want. Here it is in a nutshell. Elijah and Moses' presence symbolizes that this is happening. The Messianic age has come. Jesus as the Messiah has begun. 
Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus has arrived and then things are normal again. Normal again. Normal again. For me, one thing is very, very clear in my experience. When I have found myself in a metaphorical or an actual situation with high altitude on a mountaintop for a finite period of time, and I have seen, whether metaphorically or actually, visions that have even been a scrap or a morsel of what has transpired here, things have never been normal again. Normal has no longer existed for me. And I can't help but give consideration to how this moment in time at the top of the mountain relates to this singular, fixed, finite moment in time that stands as a very unique event. At least, God, I pray so. This moment we have been experiencing in this time of pandemic as we are apart from each other. And I wonder further, where do we go from here? We hear from Mark that they, Peter, James, and John, were terrified. Peter, as Peter is, immediately says something because, you know, Peter, we've got to stay where we are. We have to be here. And James, nothing. Perhaps he is the gobsmacked one. And John interesting to me, he has his very own gospel, but he really says nothing about this event in his gospel. Perhaps his statement is the entire gospel, that his entire life becomes that transformation. And isn't that akin to how things have been for us? And isn't that how it is at the top of mountains? If you've lived anywhere where there are high mountains, you find that for some, the altitude causes great sickness. It plays a significant role in developmental issues. It causes confusion, a sense of isolation, difficulty in sleeping. It exacerbates pre-existing conditions. And to others, high altitude, uh, it shows lower instances of cardiovascular disease, of stroke, certain types of cancer. In fact, there is increased efficiency in the blood and the respiratory faculties. There's a reason that the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Training Center is in Colorado. For some, our time has been spent terrified, and with good reason. We have significant loves in our sacred circles who are dead. As Peter says, it is good for us to be here in our homes, away. And for others, there's nothing good about us being here. For others, our time has truly been transformative. Not only have we seen the shining face of Jesus, we've also seen our own faces beaming, and we've seen the faces of others beaming as we've connected in different ways. It has been a time set apart with some identifiable blessings, and our lives will never be the same with regard to our faith and our convictions. And finally, for others, 
we don't know what to say. We only know that this time and space won't last forever. And we wonder, what's next? This time will not last forever. This time will not last forever. And it doesn't last forever for Peter and James and John. In fact, they immediately come down off the mountaintop and they begin the journey to the good rabbi's death. I wonder, what would it look like for us in this time if we hear the voice of God and the voice of the church and the voice of our own sacred circles and even in ourselves, what would it look like if we heard, these are my children, they are the beloved. I am God's child, I'm beloved, you are God's children, you're beloved. And take that message with us into our homes, into our schools, our faith communities, our places of work, those, those uh, systems where we do outreach and faith and action, places where folks are unsheltered and, and don't know the good news. That our actions follow our belief in that voice, that we are the children of God, we are the beloved. What would it look like if we heard that and believed it? Our own lives are unfolding before us and we have to figure out a way to stay connected, connected to God and to reconnect to God and to connect to each other and reconnect to each other now and when we come out of this time of pandemic. We have to continue, whether we have experienced a deepening of our faith during this time or we are just holding on by a thread. Western Christianity in many places is struggling for survival and maybe because that's not what we at our core are to be. Maybe we're not to be Christians, but we are to be disciples and evangelists who follow Jesus Christ, the theological, the historical, the human, the divine, the worker of wonders and miracles. Maybe we're called to follow up the mountains, down the mountains, through the valleys and to the cross. We need to regain this incredible, mysterious, miraculous vision of Christ on the mountain, the light, the light in which we see light, the echo of the divine voice acclaiming Jesus, the beloved son, the biblical symbolism of a majestic incarnate crucified God as the only source of hope for transfiguring a disfigured world. It is good and holy and hope-filled for us to be here. Still, Jesus is calling us to follow from here to there. And where there is, I don't know. I do know I want to be there with you. And as we move into a new season of praying and fasting and giving, I pray we'll be there together.